Do you find that's a barrier for doctors to, to really jump over that, especially once they've been in practice or one of those models for a long enough period of time where they're no longer comfortable managing diseases because they, chronic diseases because they haven't done it for a while? And how do they yeah. get over that? Yeah, so I think a lot of doctors within a corporate setting can monitor, right, and treat. A lot of sublease doctors, LC, Walmart, whatever the case is, have OCTs, have the latest technology, do that. Um, some of the other models, if they're too, some would say they can't adopt the medical model because things are just too busy or the staff's not trained and things like that. But as they kind of look to expand their practice, they, they, if they're sub, I think I find more sublease doctors because they're invested in their practice that want to do this and can do it because they can invest. Sometimes they can't make a decision what even a private practice, they can't, what they want to have and what they want to do because they're not the decision maker. Um, but a lot of practices will see a lot of disease and it's their decision whether they want to treat it or send it out. Um, so every doctor is a little different. So even some private practitioners that I've seen here in Rhode Island um, still practice 1970s optometry. No, that's um, exactly the point. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly the point. So it all depends on the doctor. It's not the four walls that sets. And I've seen a lot of great practices. Uh, I've seen one doctor in uh, uh, New York. Um, he does you know, myopia management, he does ortho K, he's, he's been doing it for years. So it all depends on what the doctor wants to do um, and what they're happy with. Um, so, you know, that's that's one of the things, but I find that more sublease doctors and that independent thing take more of a role to kind of initiative to, to do the next step. And that was one of the things with, with CODA that I really wanted to have doctors embrace to, to kind of, you know, be independent, grow their practice, expand scope of practice as well for optometry. Because our, our profession is a legislative profession. It's changing. It's continuing to change. And I think there's always opportunities where in optometry, whether it's corporate or private, and doctors um, just, they just got to take it, you know, by themselves, the initiative to do it. Um, you know, I never started in a busy practice. Uh, I was at a Sears Optical. And um you know, I, I found opportunities. I was able to to do a, have a good income. Um, net net sometimes was same as the lens crafters that I found out when I did a business evaluation for them. Um, it's it's really the doctor and what and what you want to do. Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today is the very first episode of 2021, and hopefully this is going to be a different year in 2021 than 2020. Although. I'm not entirely convinced that it will be. Uh, it'll probably be a gradual change and a gradual adjustment back to some sort of normal or continuing on with some sort of normal. But um, in any case, today I had a really fun conversation with Maria Sampalis, who is who owns a private practice as well as has a, a lease on a corporate location. And we talked about the nuances of corporate optometry as well as the struggles that corporate optometrists go through in terms of negotiations and maintaining their own independence. And so it was a fun conversation for me, especially to dig into areas and topics that I don't know a ton about. And so um, please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. We've been providing myopia control treatments in our practice for years. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, CooperVision has received FDA approval of its innovative MySight One Day contact lens. This will be the cornerstone of a comprehensive myopia management approach to be offered by CooperVision. 
This daily wear, single-use contact lens is the first and only FDA-approved product clinically proven to slow the progression of myopia when initially prescribed for children 8 to 12 years old and when compared to children in the control group wearing a single-vision one-day contact lens. Check out the show notes for all the specific prescribing details and to get more information about this lens and how you can begin to offer it in your practice. So how do you divide your time between your private practice and your corporate practice? So I have doctors that work, um, private pra- corporate practice are uh, new, so they're part-time per se. And then over here is like four days a week. So I and can kind of up, change up my schedule. Do you, so how many, um, how many corporate practices do you have? Right now, one. Okay. Is that, is that where you started or, or like that's what you started and then you built your private practice or did you build your private practice and, and move the other way? Yeah, so no, I started in corporate at Sears and then, um, sorry, I just put drops in my eyes. Um, I, I started at Sears and, um, you know, Sears closed, so I have my own business. And then what happened was during COVID recently, this doctor retired. So bought his practice and combined things together. So, yeah, do you, um, so that was, so Sears left, Sears closed, when did they go bankrupt? Probably. Five, so six when years my ago? Sears closed three years ago. Okay. So when Sears closed, I um they gave me like two two three weeks notice. So I opened a new practice in three weeks. And holy um, cow! How'd moved. you find the yeah. space? I got lucky. I got lucky. Yeah. Yeah, I'd I say three three weeks is crazy. I got lucky. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's um, it was kind of nice in that aspect because uh, you know, it was an insurance company before there and um didn't have to really do a build out i just put an exam lane in and 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 dispensary and um kind of went from there so what percentage of the of your patients followed you from sears to were they your patients or were they sears patients no they were my patients because i was subleased so it's a little different and patients do follow right so if the place closed where are they going to go there's no competition so most of them followed um you know some of them are just Sometimes they're routine yearly exams, and sometimes they're just coming in because they they have a problem specific or they need glasses. So I would say about you know sixty seventy percent really did follow, and um, even now, um, I've had patients where um, uh, they come in and I haven't seen them in five years, but they're still seeing me, so that they're not going anywhere. So um, you know, and if they need value, um, I have value eyewear for them, and I have different options for them. Do you think that, um, so I think when I listen to that story of, of three weeks in an insurance build out, so in full disclosure, I've, I've never started my own practice. I, 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 I have uh, a partner with my father, so I'm purchasing him out of the practice. And, um, and so I've never actually said, I'm going to sit down and start a practice from nothing. Um, and he did in, in about uh, early 2000s. I mean, he did multiple times, but early 2000s, he did almost the exact same thing. He saw a need in a small town, kind of, which was a bedroom community at the time of, of Omaha. Um, and it uh, still is. And it, um, but he did the same thing. I think it was an insurance uh, place that had closed down. And I remember going in there with him and my mom and, um, and you know, had old carpet old, you know, like a, basically a bench that, or a a table that was sort of could have been an optician desk. And so we, we had that was already built in and there was one room, a closet, a bathroom. And, um, 
anyway, my point is, is that like you didn't need a lot to do it. That community just didn't have eye care. And, and so I just wonder like now you see um, people coming out of school and you think, and I'm the same way. Like I, w- I would want to have, you know, I've been practicing almost 12 and a half years and it would be really hard. I think coming out of school and not having, let's say an optos, a, you know, auto for opter, a, you know, OCT, topography, I mean, like all the things that we get used to using, um, you're not going to, you don't have to have it, but do you think that's a barrier for people actually opening a practice? No, because I opened a practice, when I opened, when the series closed, I opened a practice with under $30,000. So, um, you know, I opened it, but I was able to save money working in a corporate practice. I make a little more money than being employed per se. You have also those admin headaches, but you learn kind of like on the way. Um, And, you know, you build a patient base, you know, patients will come because they're coming for eyeglass specials, but they stay because of the doctor. Right. And, and because I built that patient base um, and I had the medical model, I had the auto refractor, I had, um, I had the retinal camera from before. Um, and things like that. And as, and as my practice was growing, I was looking for um, discounts because they provided some things like FDT and things like that, but you know, visual field, um, I am, I've expanded my practice now where I am looking to incorporate an OCT, but um, you know, you kind of build it slowly. And because of the additional income in these practices, because the overhead's lower um, and there's no investment, you're making good income to, um, start your own business if that's what you want. And, um, for me, I was able to, you know, move in quickly, um, because that's what needed to be done in order to not lose those patients. Um, and I got lucky with no build out, but, um, I was also, I had the the equipment to, to get rolling too. So I had an EMR and, and things like that. So I would tell doctors, look, there are bigger ticket items that you can probably hold off on and you can practice. You can still do a good job. Um, but no, most of the thing is data and you got to be able to keep that data. And EMR is one way to really get familiar with that and building your social network and your personal brand. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that, uh, you know, I guess my, my, my entire point about that is exactly what you said is that you have the ability, you don't have to do it all at once and you have the ability to kind of grow over time into your patient population to offer different services. And I'm just wondering if, you know, you have a, a pulse on corporate practice. I, I've, I've practiced one day a week um, in, a, in a commercial location as an independent contractor for a year and a half when I first got out of school. So my perspective is certainly, um, well, I, well, I think I have some perspective. I, I clearly have no perspective of what it's like right now to be in corporate practice, but I think you have that. So what I'm trying to kind of garner is when you look at like surveys um, about where students want to practice and then where they wind up practicing, there seems to be a disconnect between when they're in school and then when they're out of school. And so I'm just wondering if part of that disconnect between what they want and then the reality of what they, they choose um, if some of that is just a perception that they have to have uh, a just this amazing space and all the technology that they want in order to practice um, optometry. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I've done the survey in the corporate optometry group. Um, so we on the students um, and, you know, they do. Some of them will say, I just want to go private practice. And then when they're looking for a job and what they want, um, sometimes it depends on the demographics and where they are. Um, and the job positions. 
Um, but some of them will go into the corporate practice. A lot of the corporate practices will have the latest technology. Um, they'll have retinal cameras, they'll have optos, um, they'll have tech support, um, things like that. So they're able to practice the way they want. You know, each brand's a little different. Um, some brands are, are, are more medical model based than, than others. And, and um, you know, the group has been very good to kind of help doctors make that decision and ask colleagues about that. And that's why the group's grown tremendously over the last five years um, because of that, because there was a, there was a need for, for in the industry for doctors to collaborate and get ideas from each other and, and opinions besides just whatever was marketed to them at the optometry schools. And, and one of the things that I've been working with is, you know, trying to work with the optometry schools because they still have that um, closed mindedness about, you know, what optometry should be. And it's kind of practicing the old model per se. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. A lot of whoa, doctors so, have. Sorry. Can you amplify what, what you mean by that? What, what would yeah, be the I old mean, model? There, and... There's still some negativity about corporate optometry in the optometry schools. Um, you know, and. Um, well, let's be honest. There's negativity. Um, about corporate optometry in the general public, in, in not the general public, but in the general optometric community, I would of say. Of course there well. is. Of course there is. So, so in the group, there's negative, there's pros and cons. Um, but you know, in the end of the day, if, if we're able to practice the way that we want, and the major goal is to keep optometry independent, so we don't go pharmacy. So, if sublease model is the, is the preferred. Now, mm. if if doctors go into no, thinking that they should be employed and because they're making a good salary per se, but they're seeing 40, 50 patients a day, how much longer can that work? I mean, I've been out of school for about 13 years. You know, I can't, I can't do that anymore. I'm tired. Just, I get, just to get two kids out the door, I'm exhausted in the morning, you know? Um, so I think that's important perspective too. And they're saying that, you know, if you're 70% coming out of female, um, they're saying that, you know, employed model is the best way to go because of the scenario. And, you know, I work three days a week. I used to work sublease three days a week, make more income, work less per se, um, and built a patient base for now where my kids are older. And it makes sense because there is more um, financial stress per se, because as they get older, there's more things. Um, and I was able to do that at that point. And um, so I, I think it's kind of also the the model to if you want to go private i think the way that it's going to change now is that they will go sublease build a patient base and then move out if, or stay and, and take on additional practice if that's what they want to do is that actually a strategy that that you guys are, that are there are people that are working toward that's right so i'll talk to a lot of doctors conversations are private um but a lot of doctors are like i'm looking to do this pay off my loans um and then you know build a patient base and if if things work out, start my own practice. So I think how it's been, it used to in the industry, the data was showing at 10 years out. Now it's at about 12, 13. Um, and to start what happens at 10 years out? Why, why 10 years is the magic number? Is it because your, your student loans are paid for, or you have more confidence or? I think it's both. I think it's student loans and confidence. Um, and that was the data that I had gotten from uh, the group. Um, and I think that was, um, something where, you know, doctors are kind of like settled per se and, and they know what they want to do. Are you guys including like um, practice, like employees of, of a, like a private equity group where you're reaching out to those employees to kind of join your, your corporate model? Because what I've seen 
is that a lot of these um, uh, practices that sell to private equity, um, when they were what we would consider a private practice, but employing uh, multiple doctors, those employed doctors felt like they were in a private practice. They, they, they felt like they had ownership. They may have had bonus structures that, that were basically uh, ownership of, you know, of their income in some form or fashion. But then um, the things that they worry about changing tend to change. And I've seen multiple times where this happens and, uh, you know, the, the, the employed docs leave, um, but they weren't really thinking, they were thinking private equity is still private practice, but it seems to me a lot of them are, are run like employed corporate practices. Yeah. Are you so seeing wrote, some, some movement? Yeah. So I, I wrote an article on that, um, you know, private equity being a form of corporate optometry and did a survey in the group. And a lot of doctors feel it's that way. Um, and, you know, I think that's a big shift in the industry too, where if doctors want to, you know, buy a practice, they feel like they have to kind of compete against that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the private equity companies that I've I've looked at contracts at from uh, doctors that work, the salaries are much higher, they're longer term contracts, but um, you know, the terms are different. Um, so I'll tell them, I say, you know, your contract's not renewed for three years. This is a, you can't, you know, negotiate terms within, you know, after three years, the restricted covenants are higher, right? Um, and if you're, if you're a young grad and you new grad and you don't know, if you're doing filling work and you're mile seven uh, or, or you're a floater, seven mile radius is basically the whole state if you're doing two, three offices, right? right? And then there's non-disclosures and things like that. Um, I've written articles about that as well with red flags and contracts. Um, so me, I, you know, there's been debates in the group. They're saying it's private practice, uh, but you know, if the, if there's, that's not doctor owned and a corporation owns it, it's a corporate optical. What, doesn't well, I think it's interesting. Be, oh, sorry. Sorry, Marie, go ahead. These zoom, uh, these zoom things are, uh, there's a little lag. So no, that's fine. Makes, so they, 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 I, I, you know, there was discussion in the group about that, whether it's, you know, private practice or corporate. And um, there, there are private equity docs, employees or owners. Um, and I, I think they're part of that, that group, that sector of corporate optometry. The, the um, yeah, I mean, I, the more I think about it, it, it isn't intuitive because it comes from a, it comes from a, you know, a, a, it's kind of founded historically in, in private practice uh, where it's sort of, you know, eking in on private practices and, and buying them up. So we think about them like private practices, but once, you know, it, it typically is, it's not always the case, but the, the stories I've heard are that, you know, a year, maybe that's the, that's stable two years that starts to feel less like the private practice to the, to the employed OD. Um, so what I thought you said was interesting that I want to I want to kind of dig into a little bit more is the goal is um, is you said uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank uh, subcon sublease right the mm -hmm. the goal is leasing explain why that's the goal over um, over being an employed OD in a in a commercial location and how that's different yeah so for me that was the goal of the group to kind of do that because if 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 optometry goes towards that employed model we turn into pharmacy okay. And, you know, that could be some pros for some doctors. But I think for the industry as a whole, I think doctors being independent, whether it's private practice or within a corporate setting, um, is the best thing. The doctor makes a decision on the patient, what they want to fit, uh, how they want the model they want to do, um, and then certain laws and, and, and scope of practice, right? So um, doctors have investment in their, in, their, in their industry, in their practice to kind of, you know, pull the industry together. 
um, and move for a different scope. So I thought that was important. So when I developed the Corporate Idea Alliance group, the uh, CODA, as I call it, that was one of the major focuses to do that and to help employed ODs show them that, you know, sublease model is, if you're nervous, the easier way to go. And then as you bring confidence to take on another one or, or do what you want after the fact. Um, so that is one of the big things. And that's why I write a lot of articles on practice management that I have on my website and how to get started and vendor discounts, to, things that doctors have right there that's easy to go. Um, instead of saying, this might be too hard you say, look, download these two documents, contact these people and you can get started. Um, it's, it's that easy. Um, and I think it's good for the industry um, and our profession if we continue to, you know, keep that independent model instead of, you know, the employed model per se um, for the long term, uh, you know, as we can monitor our own patients and, and make the decisions how we want to do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I that would that's say that. that's absolutely ideal. What do corporations, how do they respond to that? Do they do they have just one model where they say, look, we're, we're just going to employ you and that's all we're going to do? Or are there, are there ways to say, look, you've got an open slot, but I don't want to be employed. I want to I want to have control of my patient ba- of my patient decisions. Uh, and so I'm not going to do that. Like, I won't mention the company, but I, I get I get letters all the time from this company that say, well, you know, we'll pay you $10,000 to relocate and you know, yeah. all this kind of stuff. And, and it's like, but you know, it's not, it's not how I want to practice. So are those negotiable or what, what have you found? Yeah. So there's different models, right? So the sublease, so you can rent, um, there's independent contractor positions, um, and then there's employment positions. Um, each brand is a little different on what their strategy is. Um, but I've known that Walmart will have an employed position. If a doctor wants to be subleased, they could do that. Um, I think America's best models are, um, you know, mostly employed. Um, and then Luxottica has their mostly sublease, but they employ in certain states. I think there's 12 states that they can employ and they do so. Um, you know, everything is negotiable. They think that a lot of doctors I talk to, we do a lot of contract negotiations um, and they'll say, well, this is a big company. I can't negotiate. Of course you can. Um, they have quotas to make. Um, they have to fill these spots. Each spot, my understanding mm-hmm. on certain companies is $100,000 to recruit for one spot that costs money to the company, right? So they need to fill those spots. Um, and they're all for big lucrative um, uh, bonus structures because they need to fill those spots, right? Mm. So if they had those spots full, they wouldn't be doing that. So um, I think doctors need to understand what they negotiate and what they can. And I've helped a lot of doctors increase salary, um, you know, $25,000 a year and, and sign on bonuses ranging. So sometimes they say they don't give it and they do, and you can negotiate a lot of things. But I think that, you know, going in with that mentality, if you're going to make a lot of money per se, you know, know that you're going to see a lot of patients, they need to make back their, their income. Um, so you need to produce, um, but you know, sign on bonuses are good, uh, but they're also tax, you know, there's 50% tax usually on that. Um, so some things that doctors just need to understand and, and no, and, but I always say, you know, you can try it. The out clauses usually are between 30 to 90 days, depending on the company. Um, and and um, everything is negotiable. I've negotiated my contracts and continue to negotiate my contracts. Um, as I right now, I'm in a contract negotiation with one company to take on a sublease. Um, I've asked for 12 edits, and it's 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 gotten done. So, do you think? So I think the the crux of the 
the concern, perhaps, if we're going to kind of dig into, you know, the, the perception that corporate practice is somehow different than private practice, and you're, you have a good perspective of this, you know, when um, you talk about like the medical model, what does that mean to you? Yeah, the medical model for me is um, to build my, my patients, uh, have them trust me um, to see whatever they need to see me for. Um, and I think because of the industry changes, online competitors, vision plans, we need to adapt. We need to change um, to so our perspective, our image in the industry or in the community is, is the doctor that they need to see for their eyes instead of 1-800-CONTACTS or, you know, going to the emergency room for a pink eye. Um, so that as well has been a big thing um, where I've written a lot of articles on how to get started and did a lot of webinars on that as well. Um, it's very easy to get started. It's not a big investment. You can start baby steps, learn how to do billing and coding, um, and, and, and keep that patient retention too. So I've had something simple as a retinal camera image, um, where patients, they're just routine. And they said, I come back every year because you have my image. So more of a patient retention thing, uh, as well, besides just a revenue boost, um, with all this noise out there and that patients get all this information, let them know that you're the one. And I think that's one of the ways to kind of combat, um, you know, all this uh, misinformation out there, free eye exams and, um, you know, online refractions. Well, I think it's pretty clear when you, um, when you are providing for patients who, who need a plethora of services that patients will perceive that naturally to be different than when they go someplace and they have a free eye exam if they buy two pairs of glasses. And if all I'm doing, I guess my, my question would be, if all I'm doing is doing the same thing, but now I'm charging them for their high exam and charging them for their, or charging them appropriately for their glasses, I'm not using any loss leaders or anything like that. Then if that's all I'm doing, then I'm just, I'm just practicing optometry in a, in a private practice, but I'm practicing the same way as I would if I were employed. So how do you, I guess my point is, is that if all, if that's all I'm doing, then all I'm doing is shifting, you know, a, a corporate employed uh, model into a private practice. But if I've embraced the idea that the most important thing is the doctor patient relationship, and we have to, we have to maintain that. And I'm actually following through on that by uh, screening, screening and managing uh, both simple acute diseases, as well as complex chronic diseases in my practice then there's no, there's no confusion by the patient about what they're getting in my practice versus what they can get on online or in a, a location that is just basically has the doctor in there to generate a prescription so that they can sell glasses. So I guess my question is, do you find that's a barrier for doctors to, to really jump over that, especially once they've been in practice or one of those models for a long enough period of time where they're no longer comfortable managing diseases because they, chronic diseases, because they haven't done it for a while? And how do they yeah. get over that? Yeah. So I think a lot of doctors within a corporate setting can monitor, right? And treat a lot of sublease doctors, LC, Walmart, whatever the case is, have OCTs, have the latest technology, do that. Um, some of the other models, if they're too, some would say they can't adopt the medical model because things are just too busy or the staff's not trained and things like that. But as they kind of look to expand their practice, they, they, 
if they're sub, I think I find more sublease doctors because they're invested in their practice that want to do this and can do it because they can invest. Sometimes they can't make a decision. What even a private practice, they can't what they want to have and what they want to do because they're not the decision maker. Um, but a lot of practices will see a lot of disease, and it's their decision whether they want to treat it or send it out. Um, so every doctor is a little different. So even some private practitioners that I've seen here in Rhode Island um, still practice 1970s optometry. No, that's um, exactly the point. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly the point. So it all depends on the doctor. It's not the four walls that sets. And I've seen a lot of great practices. Uh, I've seen one doctor in uh, uh, New York. Um, he does, you know, myopia management. He does ortho K. He's, he's been doing it for years. So it all depends on what the doctor wants to do um, and what they're happy with. Um, so, you know, that's that's one of the things, but I find that more sublease doctors and that independent thing take more of a role to kind of initiative to, to do the next step. And that was one of the things with, with CODA that I really wanted to have doctors embrace to, to kind of, you know, be independent, grow their practice, expand scope of practice as well for optometry, because our, our profession is a legislative profession. It's changing. It's continuing to change. And I think there's always opportunities where in optometry, whether it's corporate or private and doctors um, just, they just got to take it, you know, by themselves, the initiative to do it. Um, you know, I never started in a busy practice. Uh, I was at a Sears optical and um, you know, I, I found opportunities. I was able to, to do a, have a good income um, net net sometimes was the same as the lens crafters that I found out when I did a business evaluation for them. Um, it's, it's really the doctor and what, and what you want to do. Yeah, and I and I think to your point, I think we're probably simpatico on a lot of these issues in terms of having independence as the as the doctor. I guess my perception is it doesn't matter whether or not you're like like I agree with you that that physical location doesn't matter, but it does I think matter in general. I I, I think it doesn't matter, but I do think that um, that the opportunity that you have when you have control, you have nobody that there's a barrier between the doctor patient relationship that allows you to integrate the tools and technologies that you need that you feel is best going to serve your patient population. Right. I guess if I, if I were going to see, think about the stumbling blocks that I see in, in other models would be that, um, for the long-term ability, uh, with our profession to continue to, uh, advance scope and, um, and advance, advance that, accelerate that doctor-patient relationship where it's enhanced would be that my observation is when, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but when students get out of school and they have all these tech, you know, they have all this training that's, that's wonderful. They, they can, they can manage all these diseases, but they get into any location, whether it's private, whether it's corporate, whether it's independently owned or they're employed. If, if their mentors are in a model of basically uh, refraction glasses, refraction contacts, refraction. Like if that's the model, you, you made the point, they don't feel like they have time. If that goes on for too long, my concern is that you almost have to relearn how to manage those diseases. Not just the, it's, it's one, you're relearning how to manage the, the diseases again or refreshing your memory. And two, it's, it's how do I, if I understand that the model the, the way I generate revenue is refraction glasses, refraction contacts, right? If that's how I understand it, then it's really hard to figure out the, how do I generate revenue? What's my value 
in this other model. And then what I think happens when I, when I talk to doctors and when I work with them, what I see is that they, they don't understand the value of those other services. So they don't, they don't take the time to delve into them. So the easy response is I'm going to put a bandaid on it. And if it's really serious, the patient will come back and then we'll figure it out. Or I'm not going to deal with this. Once it gets to that second level of treatment where it's not getting better or it's not responding the way you want, well, I'm going to just let somebody else do this that does this all the time. And I actually believe what's best is, is that, that like you're describing that doctor is basically that main point of, of most things for that patient. So do you see that same thing I'm seeing? And if it's, that's true, how do we get beyond that? Yeah. So you are very true. You hit the nail right on the head. Um, I talked to a lot of doctors and that's the case. And even if you just take the example of dry eye, they're like, just give some artificial tears. So, I mean, I I took over this practice here and that's what the doctor was doing. And I've, I've incorporated simple things into the practice like collagen plugs, um, you know, other options like pads, nutraceuticals um, to, to grow my business. And even something small, like an anterior camera, um, just to show them and illustrate at patient education, why it's important and why I'm prescribing certain things. And even just stuff with blepharitis and, 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 um, besides just lid scrubs, you have things in your practice that you can give, um, and follow-up visits. Those are ways to kind of increase, but the doctors don't do it. And we all, we're all trained. It's easy to do. There's no investment. I mean, it's anterior seg stuff. It's, easy stuff, right? Um, so that has been something where some doctors have been a little uh, nervous about, but they're, I think it's just comfort zone, right? And I'm doing all right. I'm doing fine. I don't need to do, I don't need to worry about it. Most of my, you know, 50% of revenue in the industry comes from optical, right? And yeah. Well, actually, actually, if you look at, if you look at the MBA metrics, so this is, I, I don't know how far this extends into um, into corporate practices that are, that are, uh, subleased. But if you look at independent practices across the country, 82% of every dollar that's generated in a practice is generated from the, the, the sales of glasses and contact lenses and routine examinations. So 82%. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, um, and, and so I think, and, and 7% is generated from, uh, from medical care. Yeah. So the, the doctors don't have revenue with it from the optical. So some of the ones that can sell contact lenses, the average is about 20% uh, of, of their revenue comes from contact lenses. Um, each office is different in what they, in what they have. But, um, you know, that's why they have expanded to medical where instead of getting paid $40 for a routine exam, they're, you know, they're doing that to having the follow-up visits. They're trying to grow their business and trying to change the perception uh, of their practice to patients to retain them as well. And, 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 and to your point of how doctors can change, you know, I have tried to partner with AOA, uh, AOA and posted things in the group about legislative changes and what AOA is doing and why people need to join the AOA. But also with changes within corporate optometry, the group has done a lot of great things to kind of, you know, um, change things in the industry where corporate would just be like, well, no, this is how we do it. Now they pay attention because wait, thirty thousand plus group um, and a lot of information's out there. Um, they've had to change the way they approach things and how they approach doctors. So it's been the, really the the voice of a corporate OD um, to change things um, and and how how they want to do things in the practice. And and there's a lot of communication. There's doctors. We're connecting doctors from California to Massachusetts um, and saying, 
look, I work for the same brand. What are you, what are you doing? Oh, we're not doing this. And then, and then knowing, you know, how to work together. Um, so there's a lot of work that I've done to kind of, you know, have more of a say uh, within corporate optometry from the doctor's perspective. What do you think? So if, if we get to scope for for a second, um, because I, I agree, you say there's 30,000 corporate ODs? In my group. So there's 30,000 members in my in my group. Um, some of them are corporate ODs. Some over the years have swapped, moved out. Um, so it's hard to kind of monitor that. But there's a lot of corporate optometrists in the country. I think 30% right now is corporate ODs. And that number is going to grow, right? Especially as private equity purchases, um, as doctors go into the setting, as they open new practices, there's a big growth um, with uh, offices opening uh, locations, companies opening locations. So I guess, um, you know, the the, the thoughts I have are, are a couple. When we talk about scope of practice, one of the challenges that I do think is inherent is when when we talk to leg- legislators specifically, and also when we talk to uh, when, we, when we testify, uh, it is a challenge when when our opponents want to characterize procedures that we do, um, where you wouldn't want to have those done in a like attached to a big store. Like you brought up Walmart, so I think there's this sort of idea that 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 makes it more challenging for people to say oh i don't know if i want to get there's a there's a bias inherently against like ah do i want a medical procedure in walmart like in in the legislator's mind now i think some of that's changing as you see some of the walmart like uh clinics kind of pop up for other medical services i think that could change but right now it's it seems to be an effective tool at least to some degree so how do you think that um, that that barrier, if we're all working toward that same goal, how do you think that barrier can become uh, overcome and how quickly can it be overcome where there's a perception of, of a legislator or, um, or a public regulator that uh, it is, you know, if I go to Sears or Walmart or like I'm okay having a procedure done in there because I think it's going to be safe and I think it's going to be, you know, the doctor's going to be well-trained. Sure, sure. One one thing, one big barrier is 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 optometrist versus optometrist, right? So there's been some private practitioners that look down on ODs and 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 and, and things like that, and corporate ODs, and, and that's been one thing within the group that you know try to show that doctors practice the same way. It doesn't matter, all from the same school. But um, you know, with legislation, I think I think we need to partner with the AOA to get more OD corporate ODs within the setting to work together with them. Um, to show them what they have and, and what they're doing, but also with Walmart Health, CVS Health, um, Walgreens has partnered with, uh, you know, uh, Physician Group and Four Eyes. Um, this medical scope collaborative care um, pharmacy type is, I think, the the new uh, trend in the industry as well. Um, so we'll see that. But I think it's a lot of, you know, getting corporate ODs involved with these things. and. Um, you know, talked with the AOA with that and said, look, I have a group called CODA. We got 800 members so far in the year. How can we work together to, 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 to make changes? Well, so I'm, I'm envisioning that you have, um, that, that your members are, are pretty engaged, right? Based on, on what you're talking about. Um, but I will tell you that, that one of the frustrations in general, when we think about legislative issues specifically in my state, but also, um, you know, also across the country, 
um, it tends to be the the doctors that are in private practice that are stepping up to to testify to take time away from their practices to invest to do those things so where are we missing like as an association where are we missing the opportunity to engage so we know we reach out um, uh, we reach out to them on a regular basis uh, but we we miss them as members and we miss them as as engaged members as well so I'm with you. I, uh, you know, we're all on the same team. And I think if, if we had not just every private practice OD, right, but every corporate practice OD working on the same side for these types of goals, whether it's scope of practice or access to patients or, you know, um, you know, vision plan legislation, those sorts of things would be, uh, we would be a, an unstoppable force. But the reality is, is that uh, it's becoming more and more challenging uh, to engage and I'm just wondering, how do we get over that in your perspective? Yeah, I, I think we need, I think we also need new perspectives, new people kind of coming through, more of a mentor program to, to show younger ODs what they can do with AOA and legislative things, um, kind of new leadership per se, um, new people coming through. Um, if it's the same people over and over again, things don't really don't change as much and still that perception. I know a lot of corporate ODs that have practices, I've vested three, four practices, five practices, they want these changes with Massachusetts, um, big change, want a big change here just to treat glaucoma with the last state. And I work in Rhode Island, a Massachusetts license, and I just, you know, drive 20 minutes and I can prescribe drops. Um, a, a lot of ODs have, have, you know, donated money to PAC and try to do things in the corporate setting as well to, to do that. It's, it's their, it's their, you know, um, it's to their benefit too, and to their patients. So they don't have to send a patient, but even like care, right? So like insurances and things like that, it reduces cost if things are getting done, you know, so not repetitive, um, you know, um, tests and things like that, saving time. And now with COVID, I think even being more efficient, getting things done in one setting and being kind of being done. Right. And then um, some of, some of the doctor private practices are, are busier and they're booked out and, and, and sometimes within a corporate setting too, they can get them in um, sooner if they're a newer practice because they're just starting up. But also, too, um, you know, they're able to have um, le- like reduced fees per se. I'm not saying to do free exams at all, but because of chair costs being lower and things like that, um, to do that. Uh, everyone makes their own fees based on chair costs and what sure. the thing is. But, um, you know, um, I, I, we do have laws against free eye exams. Um, there are patients that need, you know, services. And, and don't get me wrong, if I know a patient needs something, I'm happy to do that, you know, for a patient. Um, but I think sometimes like that, it's more of a marketing ploy to get patients in, in the offices. When you think about um, Rhode Island specifically, or you're you're talking about uh, Massachusetts as well. But, well, I guess let's talk about Massachusetts. What sort of things are you seeing the corporate, like in terms of the leadership of the Massachusetts Association? Um, where are they missing the boat to try to, are there people in corporate optometry in Massachusetts that are saying, look, we, we want to really be able to help, but they're being turned away. Like you said, maybe the leadership needs to change. Are they being turned away? Are they just not being engaged? Are they not showing value uh, for the association? I mean, like if, if that's the case, it would seem to me that any anytime there's a, a bill uh, in Massachusetts and as you know, there has been one every single year for as far as I can remember to, to try to change some of these glaucoma things. And you guys are pretty close to being able to have some movement. But I mean, how many optometrists are in Massachusetts practicing in corporate 
corporate locations? I mean, probably. I don't have exact numbers. So I was on the executive board and we had a a president at one point was uh, uh, of uh, MSO. So um, that's been thing. But I think just getting more doctors involved, per se, um, that aspect. But Massachusetts, I think, is more of a medical. uh, There's more the Harvard, the medical schools, things like that. Um, And it's more political, per se, for that. Um, But a lot of doctors have donated. But uh, some doctors within the country say, I'm not joining or I'm not helping because they're not including me. They're not, you know, I want to be involved and they're not. Um, And then, you know, I've been involved and I've been involved in Rhode Island as well. But it's been kind of something like, you know, you just keep on knocking. You keep on poking. Say, look, I want to be involved. I want to be. It's kind of it's that. So um, I think. You know, I think they just we need to educate the younger doctors. We need to kind of take them by the hand and say, I'm doing this. Come, come, come follow me, because if they feel like they're involved, they, they're invested into the into the profession, they're going to do more. And that's the future of our profession. Right. Is the younger ODs. You know, I've been out for 13 years. I can't say I'm a younger OD anymore, but um these, this is why, you know, I talk to docs and kind of give them advice. I wish I had someone to that give me advice and say, you know, do this, do this, um, you know, and not have to, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm fortunate for learning from my mistakes, but it was kind of like the extra hurdles. Sometimes it's easier just to be like, this is the road you take. It's easier. So. Would you have believed yourself if, if you were coming in telling people to take a, an easier road, would you have believed you without going through all the, the trials and yeah, I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't be where I am today without the, with all the things, the struggles and things like that um, that I've had. And it has not been easy for me. Um, I'll be honest with you. There's been a lot of um, roadblocks um, over the years. Even trying to grow corporate optometry, been a lot of roadblocks. Um, and now it's starting really to pay off. Um, and 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 the fact that I know that it's made a difference in a lot of ODs and help them. It's very rewarding to me. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like getting that, you know, you know, getting pushed down and getting back up again. Now, some days have been easier than others. I'll tell you that. So for, for any OD that's watching, you know, whether it's, you know, starting a side business, starting your own private practice, there's going to be bumps, but you know, there will be uh, a reward at the end. Um, it's just kind of persevering and, and, and kind of getting back up again. Yeah, well, I think that's a good way to end it, Maria. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, and giving us your perspective about corporate practice and, and also um, yeah, also how we try to engage. I would love to see if we can engage um, you know, more corporate optometrists into our associations and, and actively working toward the same goals because I think we ultimately do have that. So let's, let's continue to chat about that. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, we're, I'm in touch with AOA to get more... Uh, Stop.